All right. Let's look in Romans chapter 1 this morning. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to take a little break from our second advent. And we'll pick that back up next week. Brother Allen's around here somewhere. He'll be preaching for us this morning in the morning service. There he is. He'll be preaching for us this morning in the morning service. Brother Curtis, if you would, how about praying for us this morning, open us up at Sunday school. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for all your many blessings, Lord, for allowing us to be here today, Lord. Lord, we thank you for all the folks that is here. We just pray, Lord God, that you'd be honored and glorified in all said and done. Lord, for them that's not here for whatever reason, Lord, we pray pray you bring them back, Lord, at the next point in time. Lord, we pray for the Sunday school hour and the service today, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Romans chapter 1, and let's start reading in verse number 11. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 11. It says, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. Now, Wednesday night we started on a little series here about uh, the Christian purpose, and we talked a little bit out of verse number 12. That is that I may be comforted together with you. And we talked about that little phrase, together with you. And the end of the verse says, mutual faith both of you and me. And we talked about one of the purposes of of the Christian, of the individual Christian, was to fellowship with other individual Christians that make up the body of Christ. And we covered that uh, for about 45 minutes, so I think we covered it pretty good. But this morning, I want to go ahead, like I said, and take a little break from our study on the second advent and uh, and give you part two of this series. And I call this the Christian purpose, and it is uh, the uh, the commission, the great commission or the Christian ambassador. It's our job as Christians to be ambassadors, and we'll see that in just a little bit. But in verse 14 is where I'm going to take my text, and it says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So what is his debt to the Greeks and to the barbarians and the wise and the unwise? It is uh, the payment of that debt is uh, preaching the gospel. It is being a gospel witness. And the Lord said, freely you've received and freely give. And so you've got a responsibility uh, to, to repay uh, the debt that Christ has paid for you, it's your responsibility to go out and preach to a lost and dying world. And we say commission, but you've heard of the, the phrase before, the Great Commission, the Great Commission, the Great Commission. That's often uh, quoted, it's often said, and what they're talking about is Mark chapter number 16. So uh, let's look right there for just a minute, read that verse. Mark chapter number 16, uh, 15, <clears throat> excuse me, 16. And verse 15, Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15. 
And he says this, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth, they're being obedient now, and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So back up in verse number 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Now commission, that means uh, uh, in the world we use the word commission for the offer authorizing of an officer or the authorizing of a ship when they build a new ship they commission it when they uh, when the congress uh, approves an officer they commission him to be an officer in the military whether it be the army or the navy or whatever whatever it may be they commission though in other words it, it authorizes them to fulfill that role or to it authorizes them for service so here in mark chapter 16 God authorized his apostles. And this is the great commission of the, the apostles, uh, by the way. It's uh, God sending out his apostles and the apostles of the Lamb. This was a special and a select group. You remember uh, 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 that... Uh, that Judas, by his transgression, fell out of this group and, and he went and committed suicide and done terrible things and, and his life just come to a tragic end there. But in the book of Acts, uh, Simon Peter said, we've got to replace this. And he quotes out of the book of Psalms and he says, uh, he's lost his office, he's lost his bishopric and we've got to choose another. And he says to get into this group right here, he said, you've got to have been with Jesus the whole time uh, of his ministry and then he says they they voted in a, a new apostle there but this commission does apply to every man he that believeth that is baptized shall be saved he said go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature I had a, a church of Christ fellow point this verse out to me he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved I said you think that means you got to be baptized to be saved huh he said yeah I said well what do you got to do to go to hell he said, what are you talking about? I said, what do you got to do to go to hell if you got to be baptized? He said, look at, the, look at what the rest of the verse says. He said, if you believe not, you go to hell. Didn't say nothing about missing baptism, did it? Old Paul said, I'm glad I didn't baptize. Uh, he said, I'm glad I didn't baptize any but this one family. He said, God didn't send me to baptize. Sent me to preach. And so the great commission is that you to go to preach the gospel. When you make converts, they are to be baptized. But this is the great commission. In other words, God has given us a commission. God's given us an order. God's given us an office. I said that great that uh, commission was for a ship or an officer. Now, I don't see many ships in here, so I guess we'd all have to be officers. Amen. The, the office that we're talking about is an ambassadorship. An ambassadorship. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A lot of people spend their Christian life saying all this... Christian service stuff is for the preachers, it's for the deacons, it's for the bus workers, it's for those, it's for those people that, that, that hold offices in the church. But I've got news for you, every person in the church has an office. Every person in the church has an office. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and look at verse 20. 
It says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So every believer, there is a prerequisite for being an ambassador. You can't just walk in the back and sign up or join up or enlist. There's a prerequisite, and that's verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. You've got to be born again first. You can't just decide to be an ambassador. You can't just decide to be a preacher. In this day and time, preacher is a career move. You go to college and you get a degree and you uh, become a preacher and you get you a church and, and you live. Well, that's not the way. You've got to get into the body of Christ first. And you've got to be a new creature. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That's what brought about uh, the, the Great Awakening in the early days of the United States, a fellow named George Whitfield came through and he started preaching conversion to these Puritans and, and these uh, types of folks, Congregationalists, Presbyterians, uh, different, uh, different churches like that that was in this country. Uh, they were offshoots of the Church of England and they were just baptizing their babies when they was born and raising them up in church and telling them that they were saved. And then in this country, George Whitfield came through and started preaching. And he said, you, got, you must be born again. You must be born again. So a lot of these uh, churches, their church members began to get saved. What was happening? They were becoming new creatures. They had been religious all their life. They had been instructed all their life. That, that's a good thing in, in a sense because they were taught that the Word of God is true. The Word of God is right. They only lack one thing, and that's the most important thing, that they be born again. That's just like Jesus uh, when he met Nicodemus. Uh, the only problem Jesus had with Nicodemus is he hadn't been born again. He said, you're a ruler of the Jews. He said, but you don't know the, the, the simple thing. You don't know the first thing. He said, you must be born again. You must be born again. And so that's the, that's the message of John the Baptist. That's the message of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said, hey, I baptize you with water, but there's coming one after me that's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. What's he talking about? A new life, a new birth. And so he says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, part of that new all things, all things are become new. Part of it is, is your job, is your, your career as a Christian, if you want to call it that. Everybody ought to look at it that way. If they see their career makes them money, they're going to dedicate themselves to their career. And they spend all their time on it and put all their attention on it. Well, you've got a new commission. You've got a new career. You've got a new authorization as a Christian when you get saved. And that's found in verse number 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. In other words, you to go out into a lost and dying world. And it's God in you speaking to the world saying, you must be born again. He said, we pray you in Christ's stead. Christ is in this world by the Holy Spirit in your heart. And the Bible says, you're in Christ's stead. You're instead of Christ. God sent Christ to this world. He died on the cross. Now God sends you and Christ is in you 
uh, reconciling the world to himself. So he says, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. So that's your title. I don't know if you knew you had a title or not, but that's your title. With the title comes responsibility. If, if uh, the President of the United States made you into a, a, a commissioner or into an ambassador and sent you over to Egypt, uh, God forbid, or, or to, uh, to England or someplace like that, and your job was to represent the United States, well, if you sat around all the time and, and uh, drank or sat around all the time and what played video games or watched television 24 hours a day, well, they'd recall you pretty soon. And that's what Paul said. He said, I don't want to be a castaway. He said, I don't want to, after I've preached to others, I'd be a castaway. And he said, some people even make their faith shipwreck. And in other words, they go off on false doctrine. What is a false doctrine except for teaching something other than you're authorized to teach? When the president sends an ambassador, he says, you're to go over and you're to represent us and you're to do that. You can't go over and make treaties of your own accord. You can't go over and just say, well, hey, I think we'll make an agreement with you on this or that. No, you have to do what's been specified by your commander, by your commander-in-chief, by your president. And so therefore we got to go by the Bible. Amen? So you're sent as an ambassador to represent your uh, nation. The Bible says we're strangers here. We're foreigners here. and But we plain, the Bible says we look for, for another place. We look for another city whose builder and maker is God. And we're to represent that. And we're to represent that through the gospel. There's no use telling people how wonderful heaven's going to be till you get them on their way to heaven. Amen. A lot of people talking about, well, come to church. It's so nice. and Let's go to heaven. It's going to be so nice in streets of gold. You don't have access to that until you have access through Jesus Christ. And so we're to, we're, our title is for, is for a commission that's been authorized by God Himself. We have to do it His way. Now, look back in Romans chapter 1. I just want to give you a few things now uh, about this commissioner. And uh, or I, I keep talking about, I keep saying commissioner, ambassador is the word. I even got it wrote down in each one of my points. The commissioner, the commissioner. Well, I'm the, 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 I call it commissioner because he give us a great commission. Uh, but I, I'd rather use the word ambassador because that's the word that, that he uses there in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But commissioner, uh, it, because it is a commission or, or ambassador, whichever one you like. But in Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, we see the attitude of the ambassador. The attitude of the ambassador. Verse 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Now there is a sense where we are called and we are authorized and there's a great deal of power. There's a great deal of, of, uh, of uh, heritage. There's a great deal of, of uh, prestige that's involved with that as far as I'm concerned. I'd rather be a child of God and a son of God and a God called minister and Paul talks about about the high calling, I'd rather be that. And listen, I believe that high calling is not necessarily to be a pastor or an evangelist, but I believe it's to be a gospel witness. In that sense, a gospel preacher, no matter who you are, man, woman, boy or girl, if you're a witness, you're a preacher and you're preaching the gospel. And I think that's the greatest thing in the world. But look here, he says, it's, he didn't say, I am an ambassador both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, even though he is. But his attitude is, I owe these people. I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. A debtor, you would have to agree, puts you in a different mindset than being a lord or being an ambassador or being whatever it is, whatever word you want to apply to the situation. A debtor makes you subservient. 
A debtor may, may, uh, requires your dedication. Debt. Dedication. It requires your dedication. And so he says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. And so look at 2 Corinthians. Look back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to skip back and forth uh, several times. If I was a little wiser and had more foresight, I'd have told you to hold your place. But anyway, 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 5, and look in verse number 14. And look what it says. It says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. So what Paul is saying when he says, I'm a debtor, he says, I look out at these people and I see that they're in the same lost condition that I was in. They're in the same deceived condition that I was in. The world is lost. They're alone. They're without God. They're without hope. They got nobody to hold their hand, nobody to open their eyes. He said, I owe it to them to preach to them the same gospel that was preached to me because I was blind you remember when Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus the very first thing that God did to him was show him literally his condition he struck him blind right there somebody led him by the hand and then he had the fellow come in and pray over him received his sight again but anyway uh, he said I was blind I was lost I was deceived by my religious condition he had a religious condition most people have a worldly condition. Paul uh, was uh, very uh, religious and he was uh, just like the Lord said. Paul thought he'd done God a service by persecuting these Christians. But he said, God opened my eyes. And he said, now that God's opened my eyes, I'm a debtor to these folks that are lost. And he said, the love of Christ constraineth us. And you say, what is that? That's an, that's a, that's an idea or that's an attitude of humility. Just like Jesus Christ. He was the Lord of everything. Yet he became a little lower than the angels. Made himself uh, like a man and walked as a man man and talked as a man well that's a great attitude of humility that's a great attitude of humbling himself and the bible says he learned obedience i can't hardly imagine that verse i i look at that verse and i read that verse and i said i just don't i just, sometimes i just skip over it. i don't want to hear nothing about the lord being obedient but the lord humbled himself we don't think of the lord as having to be uh, obedient or patient or anything but the lord learned it. he became in all points tempted like as we are and i would say if the lord could humble himself we ought to be able to humble ourselves and you'll never you'll never fulfill an obligation that God has given you for this world until you've got some humility until you realize that the cause of Christ is far more important than your own cause the cause of Christ and the purpose of Christ we're talking about the Christian purpose and the Christian purpose can be nothing unless it's the purpose of Christ. The purpose of Christ and the purpose of the Christian ought to be one and the same. And you'll never, you'll never uh, fulfill that commission, not one ounce of it. You'll not feel, fulfill one ounce of it until you've put the cause of Christ above your own cause. Until you've put the priority of Christ above your own priority. Until the goal of God is your own goal, you'll never submit yourself to, to, to fulfilling what Paul said in Romans 114 a debtor a debtor a debtor a debtor look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 1 Corinthians chapter 9 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and look in verse verse number verse number 13 well yeah verse number 13 
Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. What is he saying? He said, I owe, I owe a debt of preaching the gospel. He said, it's not that you owe me anything. It's that I owe uh, the world the gospel. I owe you the gospel. I owe uh, the, uh, a debt that I must repay. He says, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. So that's the attitude of the commissioner. That's the attitude of the gospel preacher. That's the attitude of the gospel witness. Hey, I'm in bad shape if I don't preach the gospel. That's what he's saying. Woe unto me. Woe unto me. Now you can take that to mean a lot of things. Uh, woe, that's agony. That's uh, that's that's punishment. That's all. <laughs> you just go on and on and on about that definition. But he said, I'm in a bad shape. That's basically what he's saying in country boy language. He said, Woe is unto me. I'm in bad shape if I don't preach the gospel. Why? Because I owe it. It's something that I owe. It's something that I owe. Look at 1 Corinthians, uh, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll look at the zeal of the commission. You know if you're going to preach or you're going to witness, you're going to be a witness at the workplace, you're going to be a witness, you're going to teach a Sunday school class or preach the gospel. Uh, if you're going to do any of these things, if you're going to witness in your neighborhood, it's going to take a little bit of zeal. You need something to get you going. Why do you go to the steakhouse? You've got some zeal for that steak. Amen. You're not going for the baked potato, although that's pretty good. But there's something on your mind. Why do you, why, we, me and Brother Henry was talking about them little red potatoes. We're going to eat some red potatoes out of the garden today. First time. The rain about killed them. But you know, I got out there yesterday and, and was working and, and getting that, getting the garden ready and getting it all, getting all the grass out of it and stuff. You say, why would a man go through all that hardship, uh, just to uh, eat the fruit of a little garden. Well, that that food instills or inspires in you a little bit of zeal, boy. I, I want them red potatoes, <laughs> uh, them green beans and squash. You ain't never eaten until you put a little squash out of the garden. I'm talking about them little ones, not these great big ones, which are fine too. Pull them little squash out of the garden, cut them up real fine. Put them in some flour and mix in that flour some black pepper and, and boy, just whatever kind of spice you like and then throw them suckers in grease. Um, you can eat all by yourself. You don't need no meat to go with that. Just eat it like that. Green beans and, and broccoli and, and squash out of the garden. That, that inspires me. <laughs> Matter of fact, I'm ready for lunch right now. What about you? Well, listen. That you, if you're going to do something, if it's going, if if there's any, if there's any hardship in it, if there's anything, uh, if there's anything about it that would uh, that would go against your flesh, then you're going to need some zeal. Now, if it was eating chocolate cake, that'd be another story. You don't need much inspiration to do that, do you? Candy bars and sweets and stuff like that. But if there's any hardship in it, you're going to need the zeal. You're going to have to need something. You need something to push you a little bit. So you're going to need some zeal. A lot of times folks say, well, I just can't. I just don't feel like coming 
on Wednesday night. I, I just don't feel like coming out to visitation. I don't feel like, well, you don't have any zeal. That's all there is to it. Well, you might be lost, but uh, there is always that possibility. But uh, what you're lacking is zeal. What you're lacking is zeal. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm in Colossians, I don't know why. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and look in verse number uh, Verse number, uh, verse number eight. First Thessalonians two, verse number eight. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God also. So he said, we was affectionately desirous of you. We were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. I mean, when's the last time that you had the idea that you'd just do anything and pay any price in order to get somebody saved? And I know that most people don't have that that uh, thought process. They don't have that uh, idea. They don't have that sense of being a debtor to every man. But I know that most of you have a lost loved one, maybe a lost son or a lost daughter or a cousin or an aunt or an uncle or a grandfather. You know somebody that doesn't know God and there's something there that's pushing you uh, to, to, to say something to them, to try to get somebody to them to tell them the gospel if you can't explain it yourself. But what, what you'll have to do is you'll have to get some zealousness about you and get some affectionate desire about you towards those people. We call that having a burden. We call it being zealous. But you're going to have to find some way to stir up that affectionate desire toward that person to where no trouble in the flesh will hinder you from doing what you're physically and spiritually called to do your spiritual commission, and so you need some zeal. You need some zeal about you. It's the ze- look in Romans chapter nine. Romans chapter nine is probably the one, the most extreme uh, example of what I'm talking about here. Uh, Romans chapter nine and verse number one. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness. Be careful when you talk, your conscience is going to speak up right after you do. You ever done that? Told a lie and then your conscience spoke up and said, Well, Paul said, I lie not. And by the way, my conscience bared me witness too. Me and my conscience on the same side, he said about this. He said, uh, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. I told you on Wednesday night about this fellowship. We were talking about this fellowship and we were talking about these things. And we were talking about a brother, and we were talking about unity, and the and the uh, the the definition that I read to you about that brother was a, a person or a, or a man, or it didn't make any difference. But he said it was a man who was of the same brood or breed, and that brood means brothers and sisters of a family living under the same roof of the same household. But a brother, not just one of a brood, but it's also of a breed. Uh, all Americans. Or whatever the case may be, race, white, black. You know, the black man, they see one another, they say, brother, brother, brother. Well, that, why? Because they're of the same breed. And so Americans or Chinese or Japanese or whatever the case may be, they're of the same breed. They're brethren. Well, Christians 
are of the same breed. They're of the same breed. So we're brethren, and that ought to be our fellowship. Well, looking at looking at things from the carnal aspect, those people that are lost and dying, they are your brothers. Not spiritually, but physically. They're born of man. They're lost. They're on their way to hell. And God has given you the opportunity to go out and, and to lead them to Christ. So Paul says about his brethren, the Jews, he says, I could wish myself to be a curse from Christ so that they could get saved. That's extreme. I'd have to, I'd have to uh, announce to you and own up to the fact that I've never had a, a, a zeal or a burden for other people like that to where I could wish that I, I ain't never wished that I could go to hell. And not, not one day in my matter of fact, that's one of the reasons I got saved. When I was a five-year-old boy sitting in the middle row of the White Plains Baptist Church, my old preacher was preaching on judgment, and I don't believe he was preaching about hell, but I believe he was preaching on God's judgment and how God would judge the lost and how God would judge the saved and how God was a God that, that held his people accountable. And I was afraid of God's judgment, and I went and got saved that morning. I remember it just like it was yesterday. But what I'm saying to you, is is I've never had that big of a burden or great of a burden but it is something uh, to aspire to it's something to pray about uh, something to say God I, I don't have the zeal that I need for others I don't have a zeal that I need for the lost he said but I have a great heaviness and a continual sorrow in my heart you ought to get used to the fact of looking at people as souls Instead of just people. A lot of times we see them as white or black. Or we see them as uh, uh, punks or normal. And I mean that punk. That's what they call themselves. We're punk. But we see them that way. We see them as, you know, uh, as, uh, as rebels. Or we see them as, as uh, upstanding citizens. Or we see them as poor. Or we see them as rich. We ought to stop looking at people by their physical carnal labels. And start seeing them as souls. And then I think if we see folks as souls then we might get to the point where we have a great heaviness or a continual sorrow. That's one of the problems with Christianity is we don't have a continual sorrow. Whenever we're reminded that people are going to hell, we think, hmm, that's too bad. None of us enjoys the fact. And any preacher that preaches on hell like he enjoys it ought to re-examine himself a little bit. There's nothing pleasurable and nothing enjoyable. and There's nothing to rejoice over about people that are going to hell. The Bible even says that God Himself doesn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. But he wants to save him. He, he loved him enough to send his son to die for him. And then, but one of these days, the Lord will not strive, always strive with man. And his attitude will change towards man. He'll bring him into judgment. He'll bring him into judgment physically. And then after they're dead, he'll bring him into judgment spiritually. But then he says here, he says, I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption which God gave to you by grace and the glory which God gave to you by grace and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God which God gave to you by grace and the promises. Peter calls them great and precious promises. That's the zeal of the commissioner. And then uh, of course uh, look in Romans 10 or Romans chapter 10 that zeal look what he says in Romans chapter 10 brethren My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. 
For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Make sure when you get you some zeal, make sure it's tempered by knowledge. Some people have a zeal to do something. Remember I said a while ago, people are just picking up uh, the uh, the religious duties as a career. They want to be a, a music leader. They want to be a youth leader. They want to be a pastor or an assistant pastor. They want to be a deacon because there's some kind of a, a career path involved. That's not, that's not the way the gospel works. But look, he says here, and so when they pick up these things by carnal means, they usually use a carnal method in order to get the job done. Well, we can't get it done spiritually, so we'll do it physically or carnally. We'll just have rock concerts or or we'll have a a play every Sunday night or we'll we'll do some carnal method when God chose the method of preaching. God chose the forces of preaching to save them that believe. And so the more carnal mess gets mixed up into it, the more carnal activities come. So he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So when you get your zeal, make sure it's tempered with knowledge. I want to do God's business, but I want to do it right. I want to do it correctly. I want to do it the way God laid it out in the Scripture. And if you do that, you'll never go wrong. And you just find out the way God wants it done and do it that way. And you just apply that to all aspects. We're talking about the gospel and the commissioner this morning. But let's just apply it to your house. So let's apply it to your children. Let's apply it to the way that you live your life and the way that you present yourself at work. You just do it God's way. Everything will be fine. Everything will come out right. Amen. And you say, well, what if man doesn't cooperate? You know, man say, well, I live for God and I got fired. Well, that just means your boss is not cooperating. God's still going to cooperate, amen? God's going to do the right thing. I I had a fellow tell me one time, Brother Allen knows who I'm talking about, but he quit two or three jobs in a row, and I said, well, what's going on here? He said, those men down at work, they always cussing. They always, they they dirty mouth. And I said, well, well, you know what I'm thinking in the back of my mind? They're not cooperating. But you go ahead and do what God told you to do. And you go ahead and fulfill your responsibilities. And God will be faithful to you. And God will always bring it up. As long as you do things the right way. Amen. Now the Lord said you're going to be around people that are uh, idolatrous. And they're uh, covetous. And they're fornicators. And the fornicators of this world. Uh, You know, you're supposed to separate from those who call themselves Christians who do those things. But you're going to be around the wicked and the ungodly. God sent you to be a witness to them. Amen. And some people, some people withdraw from them and cling to Christians who don't do things the right way. And withdraw from the world. No, you're supposed to preach the gospel to the world and withdraw from the brethren who walk disorderly or cause divisions or are heretics, so forth and so on. You don't withdraw from brethren for any cause. But if they, the Bible lays out certain things, you to withdraw from Christians. But the Bible says, come out from among them, be you separate. That's according to your lifestyle. That's, you're not to be like them. You're to be like Christ in front of them. I preached you a message about three Sundays ago about a, uh, a city that set on a hill cannot be hid. And he said, you let your light so shine. Amen? And so you're to let your light shine. You're to be separate from them in thought. Separate from them in deed. Separate from them in action. Separate from them in principle. But you're to be a, a light to them. A light to them. So this fellow said, well, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to be around them because they talk bad. Well, that's understandable in a sense. But at the same time, when they're talking bad, you're supposed to talk good. 
You, when they do the wrong thing, you're supposed to do the right thing. You're supposed to put a difference between you and them. That's what God did in Genesis, by the way. When He created everything, He gave you an example. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, He said that He separated the light, He commanded the light to shine out of darkness. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said the people that are in this world, they're lost. He said the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them. But God has caused the light to shine out of darkness. That's you. So in Genesis chapter 1 when he says let there be light, that's a type of God raising up his church to be a light unto the world. And who's the head of that church but Jesus Christ. You understand Christ is first. But that's the, that's, that's the illustration that he's given you in Genesis chapter number 1. He said they're ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. So when you get your zeal, make sure it's tempered by knowledge. Make sure you're doing things the right way. You might end up after a certain amount of time Finding out you're working for yourself. If you're doing things your way, you're working for yourself, right? I told you last week about these new religions. You got new Bibles, you got new music, you got new styles of preaching, must be a new religion. It's not the same. If it's different, it's I mean if it's not the same, it's different, right? That's no no other way to look at it. So you got a different a different way of doing things, you got yourself a different religion. So zeal must be tempered with knowledge. Now let's look at first Thessalonians chapter 2 again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's right where we was just a few minutes ago. And verse number 10 this time. And this time we'll see not the zeal of the commissioner, but the conduct of the commissioner or the ambassador. He says, verse number 10, Ye are witnesses and God also, how holily, holily, <laughs> holy, Holily, how holily, that's an odd word for us, but holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves. So that's legalism. I don't care what you call it, you're supposed to behave yourself. That's right. right. <laughs> that simple. Every, every southerner has heard that from their, mom, from their mother. Exactly. Behave yourself. I used to hear it from my grandmother and, and my, 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 my grandmother's sister. Her name was Lillian. We used to have to go stay with her. And she, she wasn't very mean. Some of them grandmothers can be kind of mean. Amen? Uh, they're lovely and wonderful, but they can be strict if they've got to babysit you. But she used to tell us, now y'all behave yourself. And she used to go in the back. I don't know what she was doing. Babe. She didn't want to be around us, I think. But she said, you behave yourself now. And so what he says here is, you behave. He said, we behaved ourselves among you that believe. You are witnesses in God also how holy and justly and blamably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Now what's the context? He's talking about when they witnessed to them or when they imparted unto them the gospel. He said when we was among you, we behaved ourselves. We were holy. We'd done all the things we were supposed to do among you that believed. You folks that believed our gospel. He said we behaved ourselves. You can't go in and be unruly. You can't go in and misbehave. You can't go in and just do anything you want to and expect. Well, now you believe the gospel. No, they're looking at you. They're looking at the pre- at the presentation. Uh, uh, modern day Americans ought to realize that. And it, a lot of things you'll accept or deny just because of the way it's presented. You've been trained to do that way. I mean, uh, you've you've been bombarded now for fifty years with uh, with advertising agencies, and and they've realized that everything is sold or or go or goes bankrupt by how well it's presented. That's why advertising is a trillion dollar industry every year. Well, he says we uh, 
how he says how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. So there's a conduct that, and just as soon as you begin to lay out conduct and order of conduct for folks, say, oh, you're a legalist, you're a legalist, you're a legalist. Well, doesn't Philippians chapter one says that he he wants you to have more knowledge, he wants you to abound in love and knowledge and judgment, so that you can approve things that are excellent. Well, that must mean you got to disapprove something. If you're approving something that's excellent, well, what do you do with things that are not excellent? Disapprove it? Reject it? Those are, those are bad words. Well, you, just, you can't tell me that, preacher. I, I can make up my own mind. I know you can, but you usually make it up wrong. Amen? Uh, I'm talking about us, us men and us women. If we got the choice between right and wrong, we usually do the right thing if somebody holds us to account but if we can get away with it, we'll choose the wrong. I mean, if it's behind closed doors and nobody's going to see me do it, that's the problem. We don't, we're not, we don't continually see. Remember a while ago in, in uh, Romans chapter 9, he said, he, he said, I had a continual sorrow. Well, he must have had them continually before his eyes. He must have had that goal. He must have had the, the outcome of the damned. He must have had that before his mind all the time. And that's, what we, that's a mistake we make with Christ. We see Christ when we come to church Sunday, but we don't see Him Monday. Therefore, we allow ourselves to get away with a little more on Monday. Than we, and American society is built that way. American society, I mean, we say that we're standing up for principle and right, but really what we've done is we've taught ourselves to be Christian on Sunday and not on Monday. Uh, And we physically taught ourselves to do that. I remember when I was a boy, not many things were open on Sunday. Everything open on Monday, right? Everything open on Tuesday? Why not on Sunday? Oh, it's a Christian day. Well, ain't Monday a Christian day? Oh, but Brother Mike, so supposed to be. I understand the concept, but I also understand that we've taught ourselves, just like I told you about our bus kids. I, in one way, the bus ministry is one of the greatest things there's ever been. In another way, it just teaches them to come to church on Sunday morning. So you've got to look at the pros and cons of a lot of things. Amen? That's why we try to run our van. We pick up kids on uh, Sunday night. And we pick them up on Wednesday night as much as we can, as much as their mom and daddy will let them come. Because, listen, you, uh, it costs a little bit more money, but we're teaching them. To come just on, just like we teaching folks to be Christian, just be Christian. Be sure you're here Sunday morning. Now, it's not, it's not really, it's not really working out because we we we've, we've not got Christianity before our eyes every day of the week. And it, and if we did, we'd probably have more uh, a more of an idea about how our conduct ought to be. In other words, let me just say it plainly: you got to have Christian conduct Monday and Tuesday. And Thursday and Friday and Saturday, as well as Wednesday and Sunday. The conduct, the conduct. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4. I'm about to run out of time. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll just read you these verses. I've went over these verses with you a, a hundred thousand times, but they bear repeating. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I therefore the prisoner. See, there's that attitude. He's a debtor, he's a prisoner. He's a servant. Have you ever read his, his, uh, his, his books all the way through from Romans to Philemon? He either says Paul an apostle or Paul a servant of Jesus Christ. That's his attitude. So he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy. Legalism, legalism, legalism. No, it's not legalism. It's right Christian principle. You're to walk worthy. You're to walk worthy. You're to walk worthy. 
Uh, look what he says in Colossians uh, chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 10. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 10. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So the conduct of the commissioner or the conduct of the ambassador for Christ is that he's to be holy. He's to be unblameable. He's to walk worthy. Boy, that's, that, that's not preached much in, in Christian circles anymore. But you're to walk worthy. That you might walk worthy of the Lord. Now we stand by grace. Is that right? Romans chapter uh, 6. Uh, Romans chapter, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 5. And verse number 1, he says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Now, as a Christian, you stand by grace. There's no question about that. But an ambassador, now that's a different story. Ambassador not supposed to stand. Is that right? Now... I'm going to go home right now. I'm going home right now. I'm on my way home right now. I said, Brother Mike, you're not moving. Well, would you come get me, please? <laughs> come up here and get me. No, if I'm going to get home where i got to go. Well, i got to put one foot in front of the other. i got to start moving, right? Well, see, a lot of you can stand by grace. Matter of fact, not only that, but by the grace of God, God put power into your broken, lame legs and made you stand. You're standing by the grace of God. And there is a difference between your standing and your state. And make sure, listen, your standing is by grace, but make sure your state is not standing. Your state, you're supposed to be walking. He said, walk worthy. Walk worthy. So if God has saved you, would you start walking, please? And when you start walking, do it right. Do it correctly. Do it the way. And when you do things correctly, and when you do things because God has separated you, and you do things because God is holy, then you become holy. When you do things holy and right because the preacher said you had to do it, then you become a Pharisee. Then, but then you become what they call a legalist, which technically a legalist is somebody who's trying to earn his salvation. I've never preached salvation by works, not one, not one minute. But God has saved us unto good works. So I have absolutely no problem by saying you stand by grace, but you walk worthy. Amen. That's right. Amen. If you're not walking, you're standing still. I, I think it, uh, I heard another preacher, it might have been Brother Allen, say, if you're standing still, you're going backwards. And that's absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. And it's the conduct of the commissioner. You stand by grace, but you walk. And the Bible says also we walk by faith, not by sight. And faith is a worthy walk, by the way. I'm losing time. Let me get Colossians chapter 1 very quickly. Colossians chapter 1, that's where we are. Colossians chapter 1. And let's talk just a second about the endurance of the commissioner. Did you know God has given you the strength to endure when hardships come? Uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 10. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. Not by your power. Listen, when I say you're supposed to walk, I'm not talking about walking in your own strength. I'm talking about walking in God's strength. 
I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. It's Christ that strengthens me to walk. It's Christ that teaches me the truth so that I can do things the right way. We're walking by faith. We're walking a worthy walk, but we're doing it by God's strength. And have you ever went on a walk? You ever went on a hike? You ever been on, went, on, went exercising, tried to run a mile or two miles? Well, what eventually happens? You start off real good. You can take the first ten steps real easy, can't you? But after you get a mile or two miles or three miles or whatever the case may be, them legs begin to wear out. You begin to have less strength to finish the journey. Well, now we're talking about walking under God's power. Listen, if you're walking biblically, you're not going to run out of strength. You're not going to run, if you're walking by the inspiration of God, you're not going to run out of breath. That's, that's inspiration, isn't it? God breathed. Well, if you're walking by inspiration, you're not going to run out of breath. You're not going to run out of power. As long as you're going back to the will of the grace of God and the will of the Word of God and the will of the power of God and the Spirit of God, you're going to have the strength to get up and walk today and tomorrow. Jesus told the disciples, He said, I must walk today and tomorrow and the third day. How did He know He was going to make it to the third day? He was walking under the power of God and the strength of God. And of course, He was God. But you can walk in that very same power. You can walk in that very same power. Look what he says again. Strengthened with all might. Some might. All might. According to his glorious power. Unto all patience. And long suffering. With joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father. Which hath made us meet to be partakers. Of the inheritance of the saints in life. Romans 1.16 says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God. The power of God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 21 says, overcome evil with what? Your own goodness? No, but with overcome evil with good, but it's the goodness of God. It's the, if he says overcome evil with good, he's talking about good things, prayer, the Word of God, your brethren in Christ, fellowship with one another, overcome evil with good. But listen, when the Bible says when Christ was reviled, He reviled not again. Bitterness, talking about overcoming evil with good, you can't overcome evil with evil. Bitterness will destroy you, not other. You get mad at somebody else, say, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to have the upper hand. No, bitterness is going to destroy you before it destroys them. The Bible says, when Christ was reviled, He reviled not again. And boy, if anybody ever had the right to revile again, it was Him. He reviled in His preaching. He said, you're of your father the devil. But when it come time for them to strike back, He took it willingly. And He suffered. He suffered death uh, for the cause of for his own cause, for the cause of Christ, for the cause of the gospel. In James chapter five verse eleven. It said, "We count them happy, which endure. We count them happy, which endure." Listen, go ahead and go through some things. When the Bible says you're called to be an ambassador, there's some hardships. You're in a for an ambassador doesn't serve with his own people. He's serving with foreigners in foreign lands with different ideas, with different cultures, with different theologies, and with different ideologies. Listen, if, 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 uh, if, uh, if a republic sent an ambassador to an Islamic nation or a communist nation, they're going to butt heads when they get over there. They're going to be out of sorts with one another. They're not going to agree on things. But the Bible says we count them happy that endure. When God sends Christians into the world, you're going to meet different societies, different cultures, sinful nations. Of course, I'm talking about but sinful cultures and sinful heritages and sinful backgrounds and sinful ideas. You're going to meet those and you're going to come into contact with those and you might even be tempted by those things. But the Bible says we count them happy that endure. You want a happy life? 
You want a blessed life? That's the word, that's another word that the Bible uses for that word happy. Hey, you want a blessed life and a happy life? Then live the life of an ambassador. Pick up that commission and walk with it. When hardship comes, you keep going. But on the other side of those hardships, it's happiness. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Heavenly Father, I do thank you this morning for your goodness, for your mercy. Lord, there's not a person in this room that would say that they are worthy, uh, Lord, to be a Christian or worthy, uh, Lord, to stand in your presence or, or anything of that. But Lord, you've saved us and you've washed us by your precious blood and in your precious word. You've cleansed us and Lord, you've given us a commission and Lord, you've given us different attitudes and different goals and a different conduct and Lord we're headed to a different place than we were when we were born we're on our way to heaven and Lord you've given us all these things and Lord I pray you'd help us to take them and walk worthy because you've made us worthy and I'll thank you and praise you dear God may we see souls saved and may we see fruit and result of walking this way and living this life and we'll thank you for what you do Lord here at People's Baptist Church and Lord also folks are here represented from other places uh, Faith Baptist Church God I pray that you would bless and Lord I thank you dear God for all that you've done thus far thank you for what you will do in the future bless the morning service uh, empower your preacher God and, and bless and use in a mighty way and I'll thank you for what you do. Thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Take a little